and they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal from Gary Jones. And Henderson, oh, what a goal! Oh, he's drilled home by Steve Davis. Here, then he comes Matheson. Oh, he scored! And now it's Johnson. That is a hugely important goal, which may just keep Rochdale in League One. Hello and welcome to the RochdaleAFC.com podcast. My name is Dean. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan. Ryan, how are you, mate? Yeah, a bit under the weather, but I'm good. Thanks, mate. Well, thanks for pulling through and joining us. Anyway, mate, we've got a special guest with us tonight as well. One Adam Rundle, former Rochdale winger. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it, mate. No problem. So we'll start off um, with the start of your career, I guess, and, and you came through the youth ranks at Newcastle. And I'm right in thinking that was your boyhood club as well. Um, I never really um, had a team, if I'm being honest. Um my dad was chairman of South Shields Football Club, so I basically grew up watching South Shields um, in the non-league scene, you know. Um, I didn't really have a team that I supported and still really don't now. Um, watching football, it's never really bothered us that much. Um, playing it, I loved it, um, but I don't have sort of the passion that some, like obviously the fans have. I work with a lot of Newcastle fans and Honestly, when I see the weekends getting spoilt and things like that, how much passion they have, you know, I think myself, I'm probably missing out a little bit um, in one sense. But on the other hand, when I see them getting beat every single week <laughs> and what they're like, I'm, I, I honestly think to myself, well, actually, maybe not too much as well at the same time, you know. Is that um, is that like a quite a general thing within footballers that a lot of people, because I know it's been mentioned with a few Premier League players, hasn't it, recently, where they bang into playing the game, but aren't as bothered about supporting. I know Ben White was a player that got mentioned recently for that. Um, I don't know. I mean, the players that I played with, I mean, just just off the top of my head, like Simon Ramsden and people like that, they were obsessed with Sunderland. And I think a lot of the, the lads that I played with all had teams that supported, you know, and I don't know. I just never... I think just because I, I watched South Shields for a lot of years through my dad that I never really, especially in the North East... Um, sort of had a passion for Newcastle or Sunderland, um, and I think that's why sort of I veered, I veered away from from a team to support, you know, and um, and obviously I, I just got play, playing it, and I just loved loved the the playing side, you know. You think like watching South Shields then at that level, obviously you'd be well close to the pitch, and your dad was involved, and do you think almost that might have helped you and you progress in your career because of you've seen it from a grassroots and not necessarily big stadium, loads of fans, you know, famous people in front of you? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. Um, I think at the time, you know, me, me, me dad had a lot of county games there and, and uh, national games there and things like that. So I was able to see a lot of schoolboy football as well, you know, and, I suppose when I was coming through and playing for the county and stuff like that, you know, a lot of games were held at uh, South Shields Football Club. And I suppose it uh, sort of give us a little bit of a stepping stone or, or open, like sort of, how can I put it, a, a helping hand really to, to maybe progress, you know, um, probably a little bit further than other kids might not have gotten the chance to do, you know. Okay. So when, when you did come to leave Newcastle and you were dropping down to, to Darlington, who I think were League Two, same as us at the time. Yeah. Do you feel like you were kind of more prepared than other players who'd been at, uh, you know, like Premier League academies because you had been in that kind of environment before or a lower environment, should we say? Um, well, I'll tell you what happened. I think at the time, I mean, Newcastle, Newcastle at the time offered us, a, I think it was like a two-year YTS and I was playing with the likes of uh, Michael Chopra and Peter Ramage and and a whole load of other players that were really good at the time. And they were getting offered like a four or five year deals. And basically my dad, because obviously he was around football for a lot, a lot of years, he, he sort of knew football, you know. And he says, look, son, he says, with them offering you only like a two year YT, he says, um, you're basically helping the lads who have been offered four-year deals, five-year deals to progress. You're just part, like, you know. He says, I think we maybe should look somewhere else. Um, 
so that's what we did and obviously Dalton offered us a YT the same as Newcastle but I think when I went to Darlington because I was used to such a high standard at the Newcastle Academy and playing with like likes of Michael Chopras and people like that who, who ended up having good careers I went there and um, I didn't want I don't want to sound too big-headed but I, I was probably quite above them straight away and it it probably helped because I got into the first team at 17 um, and from there really I didn't look back. I was going to say, you got into the first team at an early age at Darlington. It's probably a tough one to answer this, but what was the level like in League Two compared to you know, academy level at, at Newcastle? Was there a big difference between that? Would you, do you reckon it was about similar in terms of quality? No, it was uh, totally different because remember I was a 17-year-old and I was coming up against a lot of players who had had a lot of games in the football league and 30-odd-year-old men and things like that. And I was quite a small, skinny lad at 17 with not much weight on us. Um, I got put out under the wing because the physicality side I wouldn't have been able to cope with. But obviously the skill in my passing game was always, always shone through, you know, and it was very, very, very difficult. Um, but I must admit that uh, I seemed to cope quite well with it. And as the years went by, the more games you play, you understand it a little bit more and you just get a little bit cuter in your game, you know. And thankfully, I was able to do it for 13 years at, at, at football league level, you know, because uh, a lot of the lads who got four-year deals at Newcastle and five-year deals, I think only two really broke through and the rest ended up playing non-league. So in hindsight... Looking back, it was probably the best decision I ever made, you know. And did that give you confidence then, obviously, from dropping down in at 17 straight into first-team football? Did that give you confidence to know that you could go on and make make the grade at football league level compared to, you know, those lads that were sitting at Newcastle, kind of, like you say, helping the lads who were on four-year deals to progress? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, because... Uh... I suppose your, your confidence has hit a little bit, you know, you're thinking, oh, do the rate is as much as what you think the rate, you, you, I mean, you never ever know, you know, and I mean, I could have signed them two-year deal, like two-year deals and my game could have progressed where I might have gotten a chance in the Premier League, the, the chances are very, very slim. Um, I think, looking back, I think you had a 1% chance to make even, a play, to play one football league, league game, you know. And I think it's all about luck. Had I stayed at Newcastle, I might have ended up in non-league football and never, ever, like you say, sitting here now talking to you about a, a career. Um, I was very, very thankful that I got the opportunity at Dalton. And I know I never obviously progressed to championship or premiership level, but I played at a good standard and I've got a lot of good memories. And, um, and like you say, I think a little bit of luck as well. Um, goes a long way in football. I think you need the right people to, to like you and a lot of luck to even, like you say, to, to get a first-team game under your belt, you know? So for, from that spell at Darlow, obviously you went to Carlisle um, and they paid quite a bit of money for you as well for, for a League Two side, if I remember correctly. What How did that move come about? And again, did that give you confidence knowing that another club had, had seen what you were doing at Darlington and felt that you were a good addition for them? What happened was... When I was 17, I played, oh, it must have been about 10 first-team games. And um, George Reynolds was the chairman at the time at Darlington. And basically, um, he wanted to sign Tino Aspria. And I don't know if you've seen it years ago on the news at the time, but obviously he was parading them around and Fulham had came in for us. Um, so I went down to Fulham for a week to, to sign. Um and it was a time when John and was the manager and Lee Clark was there and stuff like that, you know. And we sort of negotiated a deal. Um, transfer deadline day was on the Friday. So I'd gone down on the Monday, trained with the team. And George Reynolds wanted 250000 for us. And Fulham were only prepared to pay 25000 at the time for us. They were saying, well, he's only had a handful of games. Um, there's, no, there's no guarantee that he'll progress into the first team. Um, so I'd negotiated a contract, was hoping that it would go through. George Reynolds wanted 250000 because obviously he offered Tino Aspria the money to sign. Um, I think he was going into a new stadium and thought Tino Aspria would be a big draw and bring a lot of fans in. And 
he says i'm not taking twenty five thousand. i want two hundred and fifty thousand. and fulham had said look we're not paying two hundred and fifty thousand from we can we can go to a tribunal in the summer and pick him up for ten thousand. you know but he wasn't having it and basically he wasn't budging on the move he, he wanted two hundred and fifty thousand because obviously he'd offered tino a big package you know and it didn't material materialize and i can remember on the friday they're coming to us and saying look Basically, the deal's not going to go through. Um, we'll have to come back in the summer for you and go through a tribunal. He's not budging on 250000 and we're, we're not going to pay that for a 17-year-old, you know. Basically, George Reynolds had turned around and said, I think the, the negotiation was, we will pay 250000 to you if he makes the first team. And George Reynolds at the time had said, there's no chance he's going to make the first team at Fulham. Because this was obviously, they were playing in the Premier League at the time, you know. I want the 250,000 now and basically the deal fell through and I ended up coming back on the train. Tino Aspria had done a runner because obviously there wasn't the money there to give him and I went, got back and George Reynolds sort of blamed me for the deal and uh, he put us in the stand for six months and he basically said, I'm going to uh, I'm going to ruin your career, you know. Um, so from going from first team football to almost getting a move to Fulham, I found six months back in the youth team, you know, and he wasn't budging and the manager at the time was saying, look, there's nothing I didn't do. He's, he's got me hands tied. He doesn't want you to play. And I had my agent at the time. I said, look, you need to try and get us out. And basically we organised <laughs> organised the deal. It probably shouldn't have happened, but behind the club's back. And um, when they put an offer in, George Reynolds had phoned us up. I think it was something like two o'clock in the morning and said, look, um, Basically, the deal was it was uh, it was around about for a seventeen year old eight hundred pound a week. So when I was at Dalton on a YT, I was only on fifty pound playing in the first team, and uh, so for me to go from fifty pound to eight hundred pound was a big mass. It's it's, it's a, a lot of money, you know. Three year deal. Finally, yeah, you'll be on a thousand pound a week. So I'm thinking seventeen year old eight hundred, great, you know, blah blah blah. So George Reynolds had phoned us up two o'clock in the morning and said, look. I've had to think about it. I want you to stay. I'm going to get you to sign a pro contract. I'm going to offer you £90 a week. You know? So, of course, I turned around and said, well, no, George, I, like, you've done this for six months. I'm not signing now, like, you know? So he says, what, you're not signing for £90? And I says, well, well, no. He went, you greedy bastard, like this. And he started shouting down the phone. He says, I'm going to ruin your career and sort of hung up, you know? A couple hours later, he rings back up, you know, and, and I... <laughs> He sort of said, right, I'm sorry, I, the, the better I got, like, I, got, I got heated there, you know, he says, £120 a week. No, no, you're all right, George. You greedy bastard kind of, you know, he just went mental, like, you know. So anyway, I put the phone down again and then the final time was like £150 and I says, no, George. And he says, well, Carlisle's coming, have you negotiated a deal behind my back? And of course, obviously, I was like, no, no, not at all, like George, like, you know. And he says, well, Carlisle's coming, they haven't got a, a, a pot, you know what I mean? And he says, there's no way on earth they can afford 50000 and all this, like, and I says, well, look, I'd like to go, you, you know, you've treated us bad and, and things like that. And he says, right, he says, if there's fifty grand in, in uh, me Bantamore, you can go. He says, go on, good riddance kind of thing, you know. So that's how the deal came about. I'd went to Carlisle and then obviously the next day in the Dalton News, it was like Adam's a money grabber and things like that. And he, and he left for money. And and every time I played against Darlington, honestly, like because I wasn't able to get my side of the story over, I got absolutely abused off Dalton fans and I got coins chucked off us. I mean, I had at one point my card scratched all through George Reynolds saying this, like, you know, and there was this hatred for the whole time. Um, for some reason, when I played against Darlington, you know, and basically it all came from from him and I, and a lot of the Darlington fans don't really know the story of what went on, you know. It must have, I mean, we'll come on to it later, but it must have been really weird to have gone back there as, again then uh, later on in your career. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, it always spurred us on because no matter if I played for Mansfield or Rochdale, I always seemed to score against them or we always seemed to win. Um, and they never really had that opportunity to get one over us because I always seemed to come out on top against Dalton, like the semi-final going to Wembley, you know. That was just one of the days I'll never, ever, ever forget, like, you know. And uh, 
I so I suppose it was always like a, a sweet moment for us, you know. It was for us as well, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, just just going just going off that game, you know. I mean, I had abuse and my dad was like. They used to, I mean, obviously, they filled that full stand in the, um, at Rochdale, you know, so I was playing left wing and for 45 minutes, the abuse I got, and they were saying, we're going to kill your dad and your mom, and, and it was just horrendous, like, you know. And because I had it, had it for the 45 minutes and basically the extra time, it was just horrendous, some of the things they would say to us, you know, and uh, when we won on penalties, rather than go and celebrate with the team, I mean, it's never, you'll, you'll not be able to see it in the shot. I ran basically over to the far corner where the Dalton flag was and I basically started like running up the line doing all this the whole length of the way is basically like giving them two fingers like I've you know what I mean because they were all gutted and they were trying to come down onto the pitch and the stewards were pulling them back and it was just my moment to say it like this you know because I, I wasn't able to say anything back to them you know. And I remember after the game we all celebrating in the bar and I was having a few beers and my mate turned around and went Look, I'll drive you back. Um, you just have a few beers. I'll drive you back. I says, oh, great. I says, so I'm having a few beers with the lads. Everybody's celebrating. And uh, anyway, I needed a, a, a way at, uh, at Weatherby Services. I said, you're going to have to pull over. I'm desperate here, like, you know. So I took my rod steel top off and I put, like, just a normal hoodie on. And I goes into <laughs> I goes into uh, the toilet and there must have been still a minibus full of Darton fans. And there was about eight lads at the time at the cubicle, and they all turned round at the same time, spotted us, noted us, noticed us, and they went, "There's Rundle, there's Rundle!" Like you know, so they're all trying to put the the, the things away, back away, like they all try to finish off, and they chased me round Weatherby Car Park. Honestly, like how I, how they didn't catch us, I was over bumpers in between cars. I was thinking, "Oh, this is it!" Like eight lads are going to absolutely chin me here, like you know. And I just remember seeing a police van right in the corner where there be services and the two policemen were like talking and the van was open at the time. I thought, please just get to this police van. And I managed to get to this police van, literally dived into this police van like this. And the two policemen's looking and I was going, please shut the door, shut the door, please. Like, you know, I need you to shut the door. So they were like, get out of the van. I says, no, no, look, look. And they just looked and seen eight guys running towards the police van. So they shut the police, like the, the van, like, you know. And uh, they basically said, right, on the minibus, go on. The, they opened the door and said, what's that all about? I says, look, I says, I play for Rochester. Like, we've just beat them today in the semi-final. They were after us, like, because I'm an old player, like, you know, and uh, and they were saying, oh, my God, how how lucky were you, like, to to think that we were here today? And I says, I, because there's no doubt in my mind them eight lads would have absolutely just kicked us all over, like, you know, and that's basically it all stemmed from years before where George Reynolds had planted the seed and all that time I still got the abuse, you know, and uh, just, just thankful, like, to say that that police car was there at the time, like, you know. <laughs> So anyway, I've got a like I had a lovely story on the pitch and an even better one now that I got away with it off the pitch, you know. Testament to your fitness, mate, that you could run away from them. Oh, honestly, like, tell man. us about <laughs> it. Ah, you're right. <laughs> Unreal. Um, that's the stuff that we love to hear on this kind of podcast because obviously we'd have never known anything about that. So, yeah. Carlisle, obviously, I think the, the main thing that I read about was was the goal that you got in the in the EFL Trophy semi-final to set up uh, a trip to the Millennium Stadium, which must have been, again, a, an amazing experience for such a young player at the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we had a manager called Roddy Collins, and I don't know if you remember his uh, brother, Steve Collins, who fought Eubank and stuff like that, you know. Um, so, basically, he he was... Um, he, he was all about boxing. He must have grew up in a boxing family and how he ended up as a football manager. But, my God, did he love me. He absolutely adored us. And um, he played us every game, and and but I remember like the first time I, I'd gotten there, and I says, "Oh, you got a little gym." And he says, "Yeah, yeah, but it's a boxing gym, you know." So he had me uh, training in the morning, and then in the afternoon I was punching bags all afternoon because he wanted us to build up and things like that. But we're getting beat, um, and we're, we're struggling. Carlisle was struggling, you know, and he had a lot of lads from Ireland because obviously he was Irish himself, so he, there wasn't many English lads. And they're all coming in, smelling the alcohol all the time, like, you know, and I'm thinking, God, these, like, can put the beer away, like, and and it's it's not how I envisaged, like, uh, professional football, you know. Anyway, he was, a lot of the times he was like, right, lads, we're getting beat 2-0, you know. He says, we're up against the ropes, we need to come off the ropes and start swinging a few, like, you know, and things like this. And I'm thinking, 
all his terminology was boxing, you know, and, and, I, and I found it strange. But anyway, it was it was a good laugh. And then uh, what happened was he he got this uh, hypnotist in or, or, or a motivational speaker, should we say. So on the Friday, we're all sitting there and he's playing this lovely calm music and he's going, if you're a winger, you're going to cross the ball in. If you're a striker, visualise you scoring these goals and all this, like, you know. And uh, anyway, you'd get up and you'd start like doing this, like, rah, 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 like shouting at each other like this, right? So you'd go away on a Friday and I'll tell you what, honestly, you, f you felt as though you were Lionel Messi, you know, you'd go away going, oh, I feel amazing. But then you'd wake up the next day and realise that we've been beat the last 10 weeks and we're actually not that good, right? <laughs> so we'll go into the game and then get beat again. So he's going, lads, what's going on? I'm paying a fortune for this, uh, I'm paying fortune for this motivational speaker. It's not working. So one of the lads turned round and went, Roddy, honestly, he says, I feel a million dollars on a Friday night. He says, but I'm waking up and I'm just don't, I don't feel like what I feel like on a Friday. So he says, right. He says, I'm going to get him in and we're going to do it on a Saturday. So anyway, I remember, <laughs> I don't know who we were playing at the time, you know, we were sitting there and rather than go out for a warm-up, this motivational speaker's playing this lovely calm music and we're, uh, and he's going, if you're the keeper, visualise you're saving a shot. If you're a, uh, if you're a winger, you're visualising setting a goal up and things like this, right? So anyway, he says, right, rather than shout at everybody, he says, when we're lining up in the tunnel, I'm going to go one, two, three, and you've got to look at the lad in the tunnel next to you and just scream in his face. Right? Now you've got to remember, I'm 18 year old. I haven't got a muscle on us. I'm thinking, oh, please don't let it be a centre half. Please don't let it be a centre half. So we're, so we're lining up in the tunnel. And I just look at the sign, and it's like a six foot two centre half standing beside us. I thought, oh, I can't do this. I just can't do this, right? And I knew what was coming. So anyway, he's popped his head out and he's gone, one, two, three. And 10 lads, right, have turned to the team next to him, start going, Rah, rah, right, and so this team's looking going, what on earth's going on here, right? I'm standing there going, there's no way on earth I'm doing this, like, you know, and I'm going, yeah, right, mate, I, <laughs> like this. So everyone's going, what's going on? So anyway, he starts going, one, two, three, so everybody's shouting at it again, right? And they're thinking, what? You's on absolutely nuts. So all the lads are going, come on, lads, we've got these, we're going to absolutely smash these, right? Anyway, I remember, we got beat 4-0, right? <laughs> We got beat 4-0. Roddy Collins comes in, he's going, what's going on, lads? He says, well, can I buy you in? He says, I'm trying everything I possibly can here, you know, and they say this. Anyway, this motivational speaker pops his head in and like, is everybody all right? Honestly, Roddy Collins got a hold of him. He says, I've paid a fortune for you. He's flung him into the, into the tunnel like that. Get out, I don't want to see you and all this, like, you know, and I'm thinking, God, what, what kind of club have I signed for here, like, you know? So I think like a week after we played the uh, semi-final, obviously the LDV fans, you know. So Richie Foran, I don't know if you can remember him, like, you know, he was a centre forward, a very, very rough centre half. He liked the elbow and stuff like that. So during the game, he's elbowed uh, the centre half in the head. So we've won the game. We're, at, we're obviously going to the Millennium Stadium and uh, we're coming off the tunnel. Now, Carlisle's tunnel, honestly, you couldn't swing a cat. It's so tiny, right? And uh, our changing rooms first and down the corridor was their changing room. So I'm coming off with Richie Foran. Richie Foran's first and I'm second. So this centre-half who he's elbowed in the games come flying past me. Literally smacked Richie Foran straight in the head. He's flew into uh, our dressing room. So I'm next in line, right? But like I say, I, I was even frightened to shout boo to a six-foot-two-year-old. So I'm thinking, there's no way on earth I'm even going to attempt to like stick up for Richie Foran, you know? All of a sudden, Roddy Collins flies past me, gets a hold of this lad, and he's using all his boxing skills. Uppercuts him, smacks him, right? 22 lads have flew past me in the tunnel. I've gone from being second to last, right? Thinking just where I wanted to be, right? There's, honestly, there's punches going on. This poor, poor kit man comes out with these bottles going, what's going on? Roddy Collins sees him, smacks him. He flies out with the bottles. There's just, it's just carnage, right? And then uh, all of a sudden, we had this uh, short, short, uh, oh, he must have been five foot two assistant manager. So he likes, he's able to get in between everybody's legs, right? So he goes right the way down the front with Roddy Collins and he's throwing a few little punches. But Roddy Collins has just gone bang, 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 because obviously he's been used to boxing, you know. So this other lad called Des Byrne, who used to play for Chelsea, um, he kind of get down and he's wanting, he wants to get involved. So 
in the dressing room was loads of two litre bottles of water, right? So he goes in and he's flinging these two litre bottles of water down the tunnel, flying down like that. Anyway, it all gets split up. We're in the tunnel, gets into the change room. Roddy Collins has broke all his knuckles. His, his suit's ripped and uh, he starts going, lads, I know we've got to Wembley, but winning the boxing match in the tunnel there, that is just top my night off. Absolutely superb, like, you know. So in the corner was obviously this five foot two, uh, five foot two assistant manager, you know, and he's holding his head and he's gone, what's, what's going on? What's, what's the matter with you? He lifts his hand off. Honestly, he's got this egg on his head, oh. right? It's, it's egged up here. He's going, I've had you for two years in that boxing gym and you've let somebody do with that. He's going, honestly, Roddy, I'm in there and I'm boxing away with you and I'm smacking a few lads in. And he says, and out of nowhere, he says, I've, this two litre bottle of water's just landed straight onto me eye. Right? Well, obviously, obviously I knew who done it, so I'm like crease laughing. So it wasn't anybody's punch. It was obviously one of our players who couldn't get down. He's flung this two litre bottle of water and must have landed just perfectly to bring this egg up on his head, you know. So that was basically my introduction to Carlisle. Um, and for the final, honestly, he says, we're going to go down for a week. And uh, anyway, he says, we're going to go down for a week. And uh, we'll get down there. So Monday, he says, right, lads, we'll do a little bit of a uh, warm-up, he says, and then we're, we're just going to get mortal in the bar, right? So everybody's getting mortal in the bar on the Monday, right? Gets up. Him and Richie Foran goes into the toilet. Starts having this fight, right? So I'm sitting there going to one of the lads, what's going on here? And he says, oh, because they don't because they don't want to start and have a fight with anybody else. They just fight each other, right? And I'm going, I'm going, what? So the next day, Tuesday, did the training. Right, lads, in the bar tonight, we're going to get mortal again, right? Well, the Irish lads are used to it. Do you know what I mean? So I'm thinking, well, I'm only 18. I've got the biggest game in my career coming up. What's going on? The same happened Wednesday. They went in and had a fight. They were all getting mortal. And I'm thinking, this is a week's this is a week's session on the drink here. You know what I mean? What's like what's going on? So anyway, I remember speaking to my dad about my dad says, Look, you just keep yourself right, you know, just just you know, as long as you're alright for Sunday, blah, 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 you know. And I'm thinking, God, who have I signed for here? Like, you know, because this this was like only in a short two two month period, you know. And uh, anyway, the Thursday it happened again, and Richie Foran went in. And this time Richie Foran had come out and went, that'll teach him, lads, that'll teach him. So R Roddy Collins didn't come out. So there was a lad called Brian Shelley who played centre-half at the time, you know, and he, he was rooming Richie Foran. Everybody was saying, well, look, you, you rumour Richie Foran, it's your job to go and see if Roddy Collins is all right, you know. <laughs> he was just about to open the toilet door. Roddy Collins comes out. He has this cut on his head. He must have... He must have been flattened off Richie Foran, you know. He's going, what room's he in? What room's he in, you know? So anyway, one of the lads says, oh, room 367, like, you know. So he's bowled up, so we ball started running down the corridor going, oh, this is going to kick off now. He knocks on the door and he's going, get out, Richie, get out and finish this fight and all that. Nobody, nobody wins me and all this, right? Anyway, all of a sudden, this bird answers naked, Right. <laughs> Richie Foran answers the door, naked, going, oh man, what's going on? I bought this bird back and all this, like, right? Bear in mind, we're about to play this final of the Johnsons, like the LDV fans. This bird, he flings this bird out in the corridor, she's naked, going, ah, 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 running down like this, right? All the lads are crease laughing, and the room just got turned upside down, you know? So I'm thinking, oh no, this is just like, this is just too much. The next day, we had a day off. Uh, so I thought, I'll go down, have a swim, go into a jacuzzi. I went into the jacuzzi and there's Richie Foran and Roddy Collins. And Roddy Collins has got his arm around him going, right, Sunday, what I want you to do. <laughs> and he's telling them all the tactics. And I'm thinking, this is just too, like, too bizarre. And unfortunately, like, you know, I mean, the final itself was fantastic. I played well. And I think Bristol City at the time tried to sign us um, after the final because they were playing in League One. And I think they were close to getting to the championship. And uh, I give their left, uh, right back a run around, you know, and uh, they try to sign us after the game. So for myself, it went, it went, it went great. Like you know, we lost the game two 0 but uh, I've still got it on video now. Roddy Collins, he's got like uh, these like stitches in his eye, you know, and he's like, oh, I've getting this off like five aside. I like playing five aside with the lads and that, you know. And basically, that was from the semi-final all the way to the final, it was just absolutely carnage, you know, and we survived the season by, I think, a point. 
And I think it wasn't long after he got replaced by Paul Simpson, you know. I did, yeah, I rejoined him because, uh, like you say, I, I love a bit of Connors, you know. And uh, <laughs> he, um, he, to be fair, Paul Simpson, when he took over, he was player manager and he was a left midfielder. And not only did he take me spot, he also took me squad number, which was 11. And I knew then that I wasn't going to get much game time and I didn't really get much game time with Paul Simpson. So he took over a club called Dublin City in Ireland, Roddy Collins did. And uh, basically said, look, come and, come and see the season out with me. And probably was the best thing I did because it's where I met Carlton Palmer. And he gave us another route into the Football League because Carlton Palmer then obviously took over Mansfield Town. And um, he must have been impressed with us when I played over there because he rang us up as soon as he got the job and said, look, I want you to come and play for Mansfield Town. And it was an opportunity to get back playing in the Football League again, you know. So who's to say if Carlton Palmer wasn't over there where I would have ended up, you know. That point on um, on Simpson taking your place is one we know all too well because he was actually... Yeah. He was player manager at Dale before that. Yeah. And he kept Paddy McCourt out of the team, who was the the best player in the team at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was obviously something that he uh, it was part of his uh, his style, clearly. At, at Mansfield, obviously, you started to to really make a name for yourself there within the lower leagues. I think that's where I first heard of you. And obviously, we when we signed you, it, became, it was a bit of a shock because you seemed to be like a regular there and scoring plenty of goals. So how did it come about that you ended up leaving when you seemed to be like a key member of the squad? It was a strange one, you know, because obviously Colin Palmer, it was another manager who loved us and I played regular and I started scoring a few goals and I started to get the grips probably with the adult adult game, you know, and, um, and what League Two football was all about. And I was getting a little bit more consistent and uh, basically... Colin Palmer got the sack and a, 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 a person called Peter Shirtliff took over and we had a cup run and we got Newcastle United in the third round of the FA Cup and basically to play at St James's Park in front of a full house was absolutely fantastic and I remember the next day um, in the paper it had like 10 out of 10 Adam Rundle and I give Stephen Call a run around and that's when I thought myself, I could probably play in the Premier League because they give you so much time on the ball and because I was quite skillful and had a good pass on us, I thought, God, this is where I could really see myself playing, like, you know, just need a little bit of luck. And uh, Alan Shearer equaled the Newcastle record in that game and it was just a great day all round, you know, and for my family to be there, my dad who took us all over the, all over when I was a young and to to really give us an opportunity to to be a professional footballer. It was just a great occasion. And um, yeah, Peter Shirtliff said, look, we want to sign, want you to sign a new deal. And he said after the Newcastle game, there was, I think there was 23, I think there was about 23 scouts had phoned up to come and watch us. I think, I think 18 of them were Premier League scouts, you know. And I really think that if I had a couple of good games after that, I would have gotten me moved to the Premier League. That was my that was my one chance, I think, when I look back at my career, that I had a chance to play in the Premier League. And what I did was, when he told us about the scouts coming to watch, I, I just stressed. Um, I woke up full of cold sores the next day. I'm a worrier. Um, I'm not one that's full of confidence all the time, you know, and... Uh, it just got the better of us, you know, and every time I misplaced a pass, it would play on my mind. And I think for the next couple of games, I sort of had average games. And I think it, they're probably looking back and said, oh, it's his boyhood club. He's just up his game. He's had a good game, you know, but he kind of do it consistently. And I think, like you say, if I look back now, I think if I had a couple of good games, um, I would have, I would, like I say, the conversation would be totally different now, you know. If the manager hadn't told you that there was you know, scouts, Pharaoh and things like that. Would you have had an idea that it was happening or, or was you clueless until he told you? No, you don't you, you don't know who's coming to watch at all. It very rarely gets passed down to an individual, you know. I think Peter Shirtliff sort of probably told us because it might he must have thought, oh, it's going to raise his game even more. Now, some players thrive on it um, and I, obviously I didn't, you know. I, I worried about the, the situation and... I really put a lot of pressure on myself to play well in them games and I just didn't like, you know, and uh, it's probably been one regret um, in football, you know, I just wish, I wish I had a couple of good games just to see where I would have ended up, you know. 
when it came to leaving Mansfield, um, what was your initial reaction when when your Dale were interested in taking you on after that? Well, to be honest, I, I I thought I was signing a new deal for Mansfield, you know, because Peter Shirtless promised us after the Newcastle game in January, he says, we want you to get your long term. And then for whatever reason in May, we sat down and he changed his mind, you know, and I thought, oh, well, I'm I'm back on the scrap heap. And I thought, I've, I've felt as though up until a certain point, I was having a really good, good good uh, time you know I was playing playing well probably my most consistent season so it was a shock that he that he made a U-turn on the decision and I just said look to my agent I said you need to find us a find us a club if there's anybody out there you know and uh, he phoned us up within a couple of days and just said uh, that Rochdale were in- interested in and Parkin is interested in bringing you he said would you be happy and I says yeah still in the football league and I'd like to go you know and so whatever conversation the agent had with him, I don't know, but he, he must have rang around a few times. And I think at that time, I was the only only signing he was allowed to bring in. Um, so he must have thought whether or not the timing was right for myself. He must have thought I need one signing rather than no signings. And uh, I was thankful that he brought us in, you know. Yeah, I do remember that summer. It seemed to be like we were struggling to bring players in and you were the first one. And then I don't know if you remember the first game you had the friendly against City. It was like, oh my God, I thought we'd signed the next Paddy McCourt. To be honest with you, you had an absolutely unbelievable game that day, if you remember. Well, I've got a, I've got a, a frame up um, with D, like Haman played in that game. Um, and I've got, a, I've got three shots where I'm running up to him and my second shot's when I've megged him. And the third shot's where he's like sort of looking behind and I've I've beat him, you know. Um, because obviously he won the European Cup, you know, the Champions League. And it's not every day you get to make somebody who's won the Champions League, you know. And uh, yeah, I remember it well. Um, so I thought, oh, I'm going to settle in here, no problem, you know. And I just remember one of the games, I think it was the second game of the season. Um, I went to clear a ball and it hit me face and it rebounded and the lad scored from it and... God, he, he he held a grudge like, you know, and I didn't play any game or any part of that game after that, you know. So I thought, wow, he's he's used that one mistake I've done and basically I've been frozen out straight away, like, you know, and I just didn't know what to do, you know. I was quite down and I, I, just, I didn't know where to turn, you know. I mean, he, he still held on to his job for a long time, you know, but as you know, results played a part of him leaving in the end, you know. I was going to ask about parking because we've had... A few players on before. No, Lee McEvely wasn't exactly complimentary about him. Yeah. How, how frustrating was it to have signed, had that great game in the friendly, have been shown that faith, you know, to, to make you his only signing and then find yourself, you know, out in the cold for, for seven months, really, weren't it, until Hill took over? I just felt as though that, I, that it was coming to a point where I might be drifting out of football because, you know, I played with a lot of lads who, who played football league games and then the next season they're playing non-league. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, Mansfield have ended up getting rid of us. I've only lasted two games here in Park and obviously doesn't fancy us. I thought, is this basically my time? Like, you know, am I going to drift into the non-league scene, you know? And um, I remember going to train with the youth team. He wanted us to train with the youth team, you know, and... Sometimes I try and have a little bit of laughing joke and Keith Hill at the time, he went, right, what time does he want you first team lads back? Because there was a few who weren't in the squad at the time, you know. And I think it was 10 o'clock at the time and I went, oh, it's like five past 10, trying like, to joke, like, you know. And Keith Hill just didn't see the funny side in it at all, you know. He absolutely went, he t- he, he just, <laughs> he tore, tore shreds off us, you know. And, and of course, obviously, when he got the sack parking and they give, like sort of give him caretaker job to Keith Hill I thought oh well this is just my luck altogether like you know because I thought myself I've already huffed Keith Hill like you know I'm never going to get a game like you know but obviously he held no grudges you know and they needed a result and he went back to a 4-4-2 and he wanted to go with wingers you know and and, uh, he says look he says now's your chance you know he says I want you to, to give it your all and to be honest, I never look back under Keith Hill. You know, he gave us so much confidence and him and Flickers, you know, coaching-wise, it was uh, fantastic and I'm thankful for everything that they did for us, you know. Yeah, you said there you never looked back. There were plenty of players who didn't either. Everyone seemed to love the atmosphere when he took over. What do you think made him and Flicker 
you know, so successful because it was such an amazing time for a fan. I can imagine as a, as a player, it would probably be better. Well, the first thing that he done was he, he sort of treated like a what you would what I what I believe to be um, a Premier League atmosphere. You know, he changed everybody's diets. He brought in sports psychology. You know, the sat wore bands to to test what heart rates and um, all the all the nutrition. You've got to remember some of the conversations I've had with you there. You know, a lot of the lads were used to going on the drink and and things like that, you know, and carrying on and things like that, you know, and literally my body, like within a space of a few months, I I just toned up, you know, he had this, he had this person come in and we, we had a program to do weights and, and we just steamrolled teams, we're so much fitter, you know, and he was probably the first person I would say in League Two that's had this vision of going and um, all sports science, you know. It wasn't the case of running around a, 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 a track doing 400 metre runs. Everything was done with the football and he, his, his vision of how he wanted to go about uh, football was fantastic, you know, and he probably turned it all into superhuman fitness freaks, you know, and, and, and it showed on a Saturday and not many teams could cope with it, you know. You, you mentioned earlier about kind of not being particularly the most confident player, but was Hill the kind of manager who could give you that confidence? Because it certainly looked like every player in the squad had supreme confidence at that time. Well, you know yourself, um, you know, as fans, you, if you're winning games, you know you're going to go on the Saturday and you'll say, oh, we'll win 2-3-0 here today. There's no no doubt in my mind. It's the same as players. If you're winning a game, you can't wait for the next game, you know. And we were on such a good run. We nearly made the playoffs considering what the first season when Keith Hill was there, you know, considering we were quite near the bottom at the time, to actually nearly make the playoffs will show you that we nearly won every game under Keith Hill, you know, and and that just that momentum sort of just carried through for the God next four or five years, didn't it? Really, you know, and uh, his philosophy never changed, you know, considering he was a defender himself, he loved attacking football, and it was a breath of fresh air for me because obviously I was a winger, I loved to attack, you know, and. You just give us so much confidence, and Flickers was just well, you know, Flickers yourself. He's just a character, isn't he? You know, and he was he, he just bounced off the players and Keith Hill, you know, and it was just a great combination, and it just worked, you know. And um, bearing in mind, they probably didn't have the greatest budget in the league. There was probably a lot of teams who had a far greater budget, um, but as a as a squad, one to sixteen on a match day. I don't think many uh, could compete with it, you know. And in the end, it uh, it, it proved because uh, we got promoted eventually out of the league, you know. Yeah, you mentioned Flicker being a character there. There's obviously a few, there was, you know, like yourself, Ramsden, Jonah and people like that. You know, give us an insight into that dressing room and what the characters were like in there. Because from what we've heard, it was very much Hilly and Flicker were like part of a, part of a lads in the dressing room. Well, yeah, there were. I mean, oh, God, honestly. I mean, I, I was probably one of the quiet ones. I mean, I'm not so much now, like, you know, but uh, I was probably one of the quiet ones. You know, I kept myself to myself. Um, but, yeah, big characters, Jonah, John Doolan, um, Perkins, Roy McCardle, Stanton, God, Ramsden, TK. I mean, God, the list goes on. There was just all characters that all bounced off each other, you know, all, like, team bonding sessions, you know. It was just... It was it, it was a time that I'll never ever ever forget, you know. And it's probably my best time in football. Um, it's it's it it never felt anywhere else the same as what it did it with Rochdale, you know. I really really felt a part of part of something, you know. And uh, and I suppose that's that's down to Keith Hill and, and Flickers, you know. I, I always remember. I mean, a lot of <laughs> a lot of fans might not know the story, you know. And uh, I think we went on a bit of a a poor run, like you know, and uh, we're just coming out of the automatic places, and I think we're fifth in the in the playoffs. And I think Keith Hill was a little bit worried, you know, and he said, "Look, I've got a motivational speaker coming in." And I think Ramsden thought it was this uh, guy from who was from Sunderland. We got told uh, it was going to be Sam Allardyce just to give a little pep talk. So we're waiting, and he's like, "Right, lads," he says, "Are you ready?" He says, uh, "I've got the speaker coming in." So we've all had one meal in the bar. He says, motivational speaker, just to try and give you that little G up, you know, he says, to get back on that winning run, like, you know, and all of a sudden these two women come out, like, you know, and they started, like, stripping off and 
spraying like whipped cream on them and and they were just they were just doing these like like dances with each other and all this and all the lads are like going what this is one motivational speaker and he's going go on lads just enjoy them watch them dance and all that and they're all getting naked and all the lads are like yes like this you know and the, do you know what it is honestly right looking back you'd be thinking what that actually happened like you know but if you look back at the results from that Saturday onwards I think we went on a run and we ended up in the playoffs and I think it was I think it was the season where we ended up at Wembley actually and and I just look back at that time and it was so bizarre, like, just to get two strippers out. <laughs> and it just kicked all the lads on, you know. It was just like we were expecting Sam Allardyce, you know, and it was just two strippers, you know. But it was like, wow, you know. And uh, just, like I say, he just knew how to just, uh, it was one of, he just knew how to how to just really relax everybody, you know. And it was a bizarre way because, like I say, it never happened again in me football, you know. And, and it never happened again at Rochdale, but... Like you say, it obviously worked because we ended up in the playoffs and going to Wembley, you know. <laughs> maybe it should, uh, maybe it should happen again. Though, in that case, <laughs> <laughs> I know I was thinking to myself, this could work uh, one or two ways. If we start losing again, it'll be because he thinks all the lads want the strippers back. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but no, it was like I say, good, good times and some good stories. You know that that centenary season when we got to Wembley. Obviously, it was a special season for us as fans, with it being the centenary anyway. The fact that Hill had come in and everyone was buying into it. Could you feel that among the fans as well? That it was a diff- it was a different atmosphere from the season before when things weren't going well under Parkin. Well, I think everybody just came on the ride together, didn't they? You know, um, like you say, just we rem- just remember the full houses when when we played the semi final. You know, and taking so many Rochdale fans to Wembley. You know, it was uh, it was just great, like you know, and of course, obviously because. I was well liked off the fans and you, you can tell that off as you play, you know, and you just yell, especially when you're running down the wing and having the, having the crowd knowing that something might happen because you've done it on so many occasions, you know, you, everybody was just playing with confidence, you know, and I think as fans and players, you all came on the ride together and I think fans, probably you look back now and you pro- you're probably saying, you know, you were able to interact. I mean, now a lot of the Premiership players, they get shut away and fans can't interact with with players. And I think that year, I mean, God, I I, I remember meeting loads of Rochdale fans and 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 when I went back for Joe Thompson's, uh, like, uh, for his, like, his charity game, you know, seeing them all there and speaking to each, everybody by the first names again, you know, I, I sort of made like a lot of friends, you know, and it wasn't, I didn't see them as fans. We got, we got to know each other quite well, like off the pitch, you know, as well, which was, which was great. And I think that's, we talk about it a lot. Um, it's, it's the joy of supporting a club like ours, I think. Yeah. And, and it can be forget, it can be forgotten about sometimes. Um, obviously that season, like you say, we did get to Wembley in the end, you scored a cracking goal at Wembley on the day. Is it a bittersweet feeling, you know, you've got that goal, but obviously, the main thing is you wanted to get promotion that day. How did you feel scoring a goal like that? How did you feel like that? Oh, I mean, at the time, you don't really think about it. Um, like you say, because you're too caught up in the game. It, obviously, now I look back on it, it as pride, you know, because not many people have been able to score a goal at Wembley, let alone a, a, a nice finish like that, because it was a nice, sweet right foot volley, you know. My son's, my son's like six year old and he's in, in obviously mad about football, you know. And I have to show him basically clips, you know, because he's not able to to see us in the flesh these days, you know. Um, you look back on it in pride, you know. You think all the hard work that you've done. This you've you've got an opportunity to play at a stadium that not many people get the opportunity to. But I could have played on the on a park pitch. I played on a park pitch. I look back and I just wish I had took it in more. Um, I don't really remember too many things about playing football. Um, and I remember reading uh, Iniesta, he finished his career. And what he did was he went and sat on the centre circle at the new Camp. And he sat there for three hours until somebody came over and said, look, we need to switch the lights out. You know, he says, you need to get off the pitch. And I remember reading the interview after and they were saying, well, why did you sit on the pitch for three hours? And he says, I'm just trying to remember it all. He says, because as a footballer, you don't take it all in. And, and that's how I felt. All them games, 
I can't really remember it because you're too caught up in the moment and you're trying to you're trying to win three points that you that you think these moments would come back again and again and again and like you say they don't they don't come back. It's it's a sometimes a once in a lifetime opportunity. If I could look back now and spend even a minute just looking around the stadium and just taking the atmosphere in, I wish I could have because I didn't because you're too caught up in a main game that it bypasses you and then all of a sudden it's a memory. Um, and that's me. What, like I say, another regret. I didn't take a, enough of them good moments in, um, and really absorb it. Um, because, like I say, now a, a lot of it I can't really remember too much about them, you know. And it's it's, it's a shame, you know, because they're obviously um, a big, like big, big things that happen to us in football, you know. Obviously, the next season was, you know, almost just as successful as as that one. And I think you played all but one league game um you played plenty of a season before i think us as fans look back at that and we spoke to alfie and sort of said the same thing on paper that squad was arguably better but didn't quite reach a final of a playoffs what what do you think that season what was that season like i suppose after the hangover of wembley and do you think that maybe had an impact on why we perhaps didn't live up to its potential of what looked like a promotion winning squad on, on paper like i said if we had finished mid-table, I would agree with you. Um, but to still finish in the playoffs, there was yeah. no hangover. I think we're all just eager to get back in and say, right, we've had a taste of that. I think a lot of the lads thought we want a taste of that again. And basically that season, I think we've done well enough to get in the playoffs. Yes, we set out a goal of getting, obviously, automatic promotion. But things like that happen in football. Um, but to still get to the playoffs is a good achievement, you know. I just think we got the wrong team. Jill and them were on a high at that time. I think they came with a bit of a role. They were full of confidence. And uh, we just got the wrong team in the playoff. At the, uh, I mean, who's to say a one-off game at, uh, at Wembley against Jill and them? It could have went either way. But to get them over two legs, I th- and especially Jill and them at their place in the second leg, didn't favour her. Um, so, no, I don't believe there was a hangover. And it certainly wasn't a hangover for the next season either, you know, because I think we finally did, we did get, well, like you say, they did get promoted, you know, and, uh, but all I can remember of that season, yeah, I played a lot of games full of confidence again, you know, and the squad was tweaked a little bit, which was obviously improved at Rory Prentergast and Will Will Buckley and people like that were sort of competing with us. And you had to up your game, you know, he, he, he then, instead of having just you knowing that you were going to play every single week, you had competition for places. So I knew I had to be on it. And I think a lot of the lads were the same. They knew they had to play it well every single week or they'd find themselves out the team, you know. How good was Will Buckley? Obviously, you competed with him. He was a winger. Did you see him having a career he did? Because being honest, I probably didn't see him as a Premier League player at the time, but he had a great career. Well, yeah, I mean, I was I was the same, you know. At the time, I was absolutely fuming. Um, that I was getting left out because of him, you know, but I couldn't really say too much because he would chip in with a goal or assist um, and he was playing well. Never, ever seen him playing in the Premier League. Um, but like I say, look, you just got to be in the right place at the right time in football and he was, you know, and I remember even Craig Dawson coming in. I think he played for Ratcliffe Borough. He came in with like rugby studs on. He was booting everybody all over the place in training and I was in the shower going, who's this kid like? You know, he's just kicking while up a height. He kind of trapped the ball or nothing, you know. And Keith Hill says, I'm going to make him a Premier League player. And I remember four or five were bursting out laughing, going, absolutely no chance. And then he came in for pre-season and uh, whatever Keith Hill did to him, you know, he just turned him into a, a goal machine as well. You know, he was scoring goals for fun. He, he just turned into a complete centre-half overnight. And I'm thinking, I've just never seen that happen. And look at the career he's had, you know, and, like I say, right place, right time, you know, and and progressing at the, at, at the same time. I remember even Glenn Murray, you know, he, he was the most laziest trainer I've ever seen in my life. He never, ever just wanted to train. And I remember setting up 22 goals for him that season, right? And he gets a move to the Premier League. And I'm sat there, right, in League 2, thinking, I've set up 22 of your goals. Yeah, how on earth nobody picked me up, right? I was absolutely livid. And then... 
he pulls up beside us. We were playing Dalton. He came to watch, obviously, the semi-final. And I remember him pulling up beside us in the car park because there was loads of traffic. And he winds his window down and he's in this unbelievable motor. And I says, oh, it's nice to see how me 22 assists have got you. Look at the car you're driving now. And he went, aye, cheers, runs. Thanks a lot for that, like, you know. And, like, like laughed and, like, sped away at 60 mile. And now I thought, you twat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like and, and I've never, ever spoke to him again. Right? Never spoke to him again. So when I see these things on Twitter, Twitter saying, oh, he's got 103 goals for, like, you know, Brighton. And, and, he's had, and I'm thinking to myself, aye. 22 of my assists got him that move, you know what I mean? But, hey, it's, it's all good fun, like, you know, but, oh, my God. Like I say, he's another one. I just thought myself, the career that, they've, like, some of these players had, it makes us think to yourself, you know, because obviously I was one of the first probably on the team sheet at the time as well, you know, and some of the, like, Sir Alfie was on the bench and then look at the career he's had. He played in the Premier League and you think to yourself, I would have loved, loved the opportunity just to see how I, how I would have coped, you know. Um, but it didn't happen to us, you know. So I try not to look back and uh, and regret too much, you know, because you'll just get you just you just get caught up in depression if you did, you know. I was going to ask actually because you ended up leaving the club before the promotion was kind of yeah. done in that 09 10. Yeah. What's that like having been part of the club for so long and like you said, feeling like it was a a great place to be? And then what's it like watching on as those lads who you've had such a strong relationship with over the last few years go and win that promotion were you good enough to be there and part of it or were you happy for them to you know go and finally get that promotion well of course I was happy you know because even now you know Rochdale is is so in my blood it's, it's unreal like you know it's the first result I look forward to weekend I just I just wish at times just Rochdale wasn't a three, four hour drive, you know, from where I live, you know, because I'd be there all the time. I absolutely like adore the place, you know, it's the one place that, well, like I say, it, it's, uh, it's very, very close to me heart, you know, and I remember Adam Lafondra leaving and me and him, we, we were very, very close as pals, you know, and um, they needed somebody on loan and he went to Rotherham and he says, look, Ronnie, Ronnie Moore wants you to come. And um, I said to Keith, I said, look, I want to go. And um, Keith Hill went, what? I said, I want to go. It was basically to be with Alfie again, you know. Um, I just had this real good relationship with him. And I went and it was an emergency loan deal for a month. And I came back and I knew straight away Keith Hill, I think he was a little bit hurt by it, you know, probably thought what I've done for you and you, you wanted to jump ship. And it was mainly to be with Alfie, like, you know, and um, I knew straight away when I come back, I thought, ah, oh, this is different now, you know, and Keith Hill was never the same, same to us again. And as soon as the January transfer window came, um, Chesterfield came in for us and he basically phoned us up and said, look, I've accepted an offer, I want you to leave, like, you know. Um, so I knew then, I thought, I've I've hurt him by wanting to to be away, you know. Um, so it was what it's um, it's a massive regret of mine. Have you seen Keith Hill since then? Yeah, I have. I, I mean, obviously, I've seen him at uh, Joe Thompson's charity match. Yeah. Um, me and him were never massive at having conversations. Um, like I say, I kept myself to myself, and it was very much the same on the day. You know, oh, hello, you know, I mean, uh, how, how's things? And it was just... It, it was just small talk, really, you know, um, but we just probably respected each other as, as humans. He was doing a fantastic job as a manager and I was doing well for him as a player. Um, he obviously moved on. I mean, there's, there's, he, he, I don't think he held too many grudges with us, you know, we were fine on the day and things like that, you know. But I think at the time he was a little bit hurt by it. Is there anyone else, obviously, you mentioned that you had a close relationship with Alfie. Is there anyone else you're still kind of in contact with and still speak to regularly? From that? Well, I don't speak to anybody now. Um, there's there's nobody who I keep contact with. I think what happens in football is you've got your own lives and your families and, and because I'm so far away from everybody, you just drift away. Um, you know, there were good mates at the time um, and now I'm now at my work, you know, I've got good good mates at work. You've, you've got your workmates, you know, and I've always found wherever wherever I played at the time, I got on with it, nearly everybody in the dressing room. But when I've left, 
you sort of drift apart and you you get new mates and it's it sort of happened at Rochdale, you know, and very rarely speak to Alfie. The odd time I'll just say well done if he scored a goal in in Australia and stuff like that. And but it's not like what we were. Every I've just drifted away from everybody, you know. Are you still um, involved in football now? Obviously, we know like afterwards we went to to Morecambe and back to Darlow. But are you yeah. still involved now? I'm not involved. Not involved now. Um, and to be honest, I've never missed. I've not missed it enough. Um, I don't get the same bug now um, about football like I used to. I think football is very much up and down. And over the years, it just it took it took its took its toll on us. Um, I found it very hard coming out of football, and there was nobody there to sort of ask for my autograph or um, the, the money that goes with it, because you know you're well paid. Um, you know the limelight. I found it very hard to struggle. I, I struggled really, you know, and um, I suppose I think it just sort of took all the enjoyment away. Because um, where you see it as as football fans is is your Saturday and your Tuesday night, and you cannot wait for the game. Football, as especially myself, seen it as a job. It's it's a job at the end of the day. You're you're geared up Monday to Friday to get three points. There's no going back in the pub after the game and having a drink with your pals, you know. You're back in the next day watching videos, you know. And I suppose 13 years takes its toll. And I've got a son now who's at Middlesbrough Academy and I get my football fixed through him. We've just travelled down to Man City, Liverpool and Everton. So I was in the Rochdale area for the last three weeks, you know, and driving past the turn-off, you know, telling them the stories. Oh, well, that's where Daddy would turn off to play for Rochdale and things like that, you know. And... But seeing some of these academies and watching him play, I'm now starting to get the feelings that what my parents and my dad would get. And I I enjoyed I enjoy watching him more than I ever did playing. All the games I had in the Football League and all the games that I played at Wembley and Newcastle, watching him play against Manchester City and the Liverpool, um it just it just feels totally different as a as a parent than what it is when when you play yourself, you know. We saw you at, at St James's Park as well, didn't we, for the for the Dale game last yeah. year? Um, like you said, it, it, it's a bit of a shame that it's three, four hours away from where you live. But will we see you down at Scotland at some point in the in the next year or two? Well, oh, without a doubt. Um, mainly to uh, show me kids um, sort of that the love that that I had. You know, I knew straight away. Um, I got tickets for the Newcastle game and my son, even though he was four at the time, got a little glimpse. I mean, I was just in the bar and everybody's coming up for photos and chanting and things like that, you know, and going home with him saying, look, that's what you, that's, that's, that was your dad playing professional football and things like that, you know, and he, he, he still, the odd time talks about it. So how he can remember four, you know, so I definitely, definitely, definitely 100% will be bringing them back just to, just to show him um, sort of basically what his dad had done in the past, you know, and sort of like how you as fans treat us, you know, um, I'm I'm forever grateful of it, like, you know. Yeah, I think I speak on behalf of all Rochdale fans when I say it'd be good to see you down. Um, I don't know if Dean could maybe send you a link after, but I know that the Dale Trust have put together a former players association. I don't know if you're involved. Right. They did an event a couple of months ago and the players came and paraded the pitch and I think they're yes. doing a couple of events um, you know a couple of times a year or whatever so it'd be you know possibly good to see you on that and, and see you down at some point well yeah I got I got sort of like a private message sent to us saying if I would like to parade the pitch you know but it's, it's just typical it, it, it ended up um, where I couldn't get the night shift off from work yeah. um, in the past I mean even the, when when he's won League One, he's always seemed to play Sunderland away, um, on a shift where I couldn't get I couldn't get the time to get a ticket, you know. And I've always always uh, said like uh, these little events, I would love to come back. And I mean, obviously, I I seen some of the pictures, you know, Jonah and Stanton and all them walking around the pitch and all that, and I just felt as though I missed out, you know. And it's something that I wouldn't want want to miss out on, you know. If if, if any more future events came up, you know. Yeah, well, definitely hope to see you there sometime soon, Adam. Um, 
I don't know if you've listened to the podcast with some of your ex-teammates, but we do like to finish with a little game um, whenever we do the podcast. So what it is is that I pick out um, a match that you were played in for Dale and you have to try and see if you can name the match day squad from that from that game. So I've gone for that playoff final at Wembley. It had to be with that goal. So I want to see how many of the, uh, of the match day squad you can name from, from that uh, playoff final. All right, okay. So we had Lee in goal. Yeah, um, I think Delory Deloria was right back. Yep. Roy McCardle Stanton centre halves. TK left back. Myself left midfield. Higginbottom I think was right midfield. Yep. Um, with Gary Jones and Simon Ramsden in centre midfield, and up front was Chris Dagnall and Adam Lafondra. Oh, he smashed it out of the park! Unbelievable effort, mate. Can you do the subs? Because that's when these lot usually get caught out. <laughs> so subs, I'll go with John Doolan. Yeah. Um, Will Buckley. Um, God. No way, I'm struggling with the subs. The man who took us to Wembley with the penalty? Oh, of course, Muirhead. Yeah, he came on at half time. Oh, God, aye. That's a blast from the past, remembering him. Um... God, I think I'm stuck with the subs three. That, that, that that's as far as I think I can go. Oh, Spencer in goal was he? Um, Spencer. No, there was there was there wasn't a sub keeper actually. Oh, was it not? Okay, well that's as far as I can go. It was a great effort, mate. To be fair, I think you've definitely brought blown uh, Alfie and and um, Evil out of the water anyway. So the other right. two, the other two were Marcus Holness and uh, Renny Howe were the other two. Oh, of course, yeah. Bloody hell. <laughs> Well, Adam, um, all that's left for me to say really is thank you very much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed going back down memory lane and I, I hope everyone listening has done as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. No problem. It's been a pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Brilliant. Uh, and we we'll hope to see you down at Scotland at some point this season. Or yeah, well. 100%. 100%. Brilliant. Love to see it. Uh, Ryan, as well, thank you, as always, mate. No, nice one, Dean. Thanks, Adam, for coming on. Good to see you. Thank you. Brilliant. We'll catch you all next time. Up the Dale.